you can keep going, build an ecosystem around you, get the smartest people that we can get both internationally and within Colombia around us. And we can make this thing, we can make this thing a monster. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hello, welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. With me, excited to have Adam, Jason, and Cole Shepard. How are you guys doing today? Good, how are you? Really good, Todd. Thank you. Awesome, awesome. Well, doing fantastic here myself. And a little bit about these guys. They're uh, partners at the Legacy Group. Uh, the Legacy Group is an alternative asset manager that targets profitable investment opportunities with high social and environmental impact uh, in Latin America. And a little bit about Adam before joining the Legacy Group. Adam worked for two international law firms uh, where he advised leading Fortune 500 companies and investment banks in the areas of corporate finance, corporate governance, security regulations, and international business transactions. So all, all kinds of fun, crazy stuff. And yes, uh, a little bit about uh, Cole. Um, prior to Legacy Group, he spent the previous eight years working for a global professional services firm uh, specializing in accounting, advisory, and consulting solutions. Um, with that said, gentlemen, why don't, uh, Adam, maybe you start since I started your bio, why don't you give our listeners a little bit more about your background Then Cole, uh, you jump in and then let's explain after that, what's going on with, uh, what the company you guys are currently a part of. Sure. So both Cole and I are based down in Columbia, South America. I came down here after, as you mentioned, Todd practicing law in the States for about eight years really working in SEC capital markets, helping companies go public or fund their businesses on the, on the public markets, public-private debt and equity issuances, corporate governance, et cetera. Cole and I really saw opportunity in LATAM, in Columbia, in coffee, what we're doing, technology, really a chance to open alternative investments to US-based investors looking for some diversification in their portfolio, looking for something, call it offshore, but a little bit different from what they're used to, whether it be real estate or public equities. And we knew that we could build something strong while still having a U.S. kind of trained management team on the ground here that could open those opportunities. So that's really the thesis around Legacy Group, the opportunities that we seek and, and what we try to bring to market. And a little bit about me. Cool. <laughs> And I'll jump in and talk a little bit about me. You know, my background was in M&A with PwC. Uh, before I came down to Columbia, you know, I was working in Hong Kong, looking at different markets of interest. I, I stumbled upon Columbia due to my brother's wedding being down here. Saw a lot of anomalies in the market. Um, and, you know, Todd, your, your podcast is on pillars of wealth. You know, what I saw in Columbia was basically an untapped opportunity. Uh, my brethren, I would say, in M&A in New York, London, Hong Kong, uh, nobody was looking at Columbia. Um, so that was a time in my life where I was about 31 years old, coming down to and ready to take some bets with my own capital and been running companies ever since. So I came down here in, in 2015, started Legacy Group. I founded the Green Coffee Company, which is a company we'll be talking about today. And Adam came in at about the exact same time. 
Um, and the goal is to build the, the largest coffee producing company here in Colombia. Interesting. So, so you guys moved down to Colombia. Said we're this is this is where we're living. You're from the states. You yes. took the you took the jump to move all the way down there. Why did you move down there versus still living in the states and just running the the company from the states um, in Colombia? I'll jump in with my story first because it's, it's a more natural transition, probably. So I've been living outside of the United States since I was 25. Mm -hmm. So that was 13 years ago. So when I started my professional career with Pricewaterhouse, my goal was really to become international. Uh, and I loved financial services, specifically banking, private equity, hedge funds. So when I was 25, I, I solicited for a transfer to Bermuda. So I started you know, learning how offshore structures work, how offshore banking works, how private equity works. And you know, two years into that, you're renewing your contracts in Bermuda, getting your labor permits. Uh, and I really wanted to learn M&A. So I applied for a job at PwC in M&A in, in a central hub office of Hong Kong. You know, I lived between Hong Kong and Beijing for four years doing regional deals. You know, at that time, China was doing a tremendous amount of outbound M&A activity. So we looked at deals in the Middle East and the United States and developed Europe. Um, and at the time, you know, I was kind of getting to the point where you have to think about you need to make a partner case with the firm and you really need to start running teams, running real deals. I mean, those deals we looked at, we were, I mean, we were in the billions of dollars uh, and no one, no one thought about Latin America. So I was looking at two different regions, one being South, Southeast Asia, which I saw a huge amount of potential, and then Latin America. And when I came down to Colombia and started seeing the development that the country was in, uh, and just certain things, especially within real estate, just anomalies in pricing uh, as compared to, let's see what you'd say is mortgage rates, which I think are arbitragely high here in Colombia, the, the company is way too developed for the stage of banking that it was in. So when I first came down, it was more of a, a macro bet and analysis and saying, you know what, I see opportunity here. I've been working my butt off for you know, eight or nine years, traveling around the world, doing a tremendous working big hours and said, you know, I think, I think there's opportunity to build something from nothing. So that's when I said, hey, I'm gonna liquidate all my 401ks, all my retirement accounts, all my investment accounts, and start doing it with my own capital. And really the thesis was around uh, financial services that I saw anomalies that uh, obviously drive uh, real estate. And then it just kind of developed from there. Interesting. And my story, Todd, is not dissimilar from Cole's. At the time that I found Columbia, I was living in Dallas, working at a law firm there, had received an offer to move down to another firm in Houston really similar to Cole at the same point in my career, whether you decide, do you want to be a partner at the firm? Do you want to go in-house? Do you want to do something a little bit different? I had a month gap between the two positions, found Columbia, saw some interesting opportunities, found out about what Cole was doing in the market. And as we mentioned, a big chunk of our investors are US-based folks. So to be able to raise capital for them, to bring them into the projects, we still have to do all the US-based legal compliance, all the SEC compliance. So my skill set was readily adaptable to what 
Cole was doing and what he was doing as he was kicking off the coffee project four years ago. As Cole mentioned, we've really made a big bet here. I think both of us have kind of bet it all. I have a, a wife here now and, and live here full time and Cole's been here for seven years. So we're on to something special, I believe, and, and continuing to take our skills that we learned through great training and working at great firms and, and do something entrepreneurial and, and open a new market for folks. Did you guys know each other prior to? No. No. So Adam or, or Cole, whoever, I mean, how, how did you decide? It sounds like Adam, you found Cole. Like what, what did take me through that? Like what? Simple, I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you the story that, that yeah. how I met Adam's story. It was great. Sure. So actually Adam is from Buffalo, New York, and I was born in upstate New York. I spent most of my life in North Carolina, but I was like all my family's from upstate New York. And I remember at the time we were looking for legal guidance on the private, private placement memorandums and the subscription docs that were created you know, died before the call, I was telling you, you know, we started with syndicated real estate investors. So, you know, our subscription agreements and whatnot at the time were, were very similar to what you'd see on an LP GP structure on a private equity fund. You know, at the time I was writing a, a lot of these. Now I had, I had some lawyer friends and whatnot that could look at them, but they, they were not nearly as talented as Adam. Adam came into the mix uh, through a, through a contact of one of our, uh, like a contact of a contact and I remember getting on the phone with Adam and he had the, a Buffalo accent. It was like, <laughs> it was like I was talking to like my cousin immediately and immediately when he was reviewing, like one good thing is that when he reviewed all my legal docs, I didn't make that many mistakes. He only had like, you know, probably one small round of drastic mistakes, which, which was great. Uh, but as soon as we started chatting, I knew this, I noticed that Adam wasn't like a typical lawyer. Typically, you know, when I work with lawyers, it's very, by the book, there's not an, a lot of entrepreneurial spirit involved. And Adam knew how to basically take companies and take thematic strategy of a company and say, hey, this might be a good business idea. And so one of the, I'll brag about Adam for a little bit. He's actually the biggest capital raise guy on our team right now. <laughs> you know, Adam's brought in most of the capital uh, for this round. And you know, we're at, we've raised already, we're almost at $9.6 million raised for the Series B already. And it's coming a lot from Adam's connections. I think there's about zero lawyers in the world that can have that credential on their wall. Lawyers typically aren't known to be able to raise capital and Adam's done a great job. Well, thanks, Cole. I, I did try and I get to say this being from upstate New York, but I tried to change the accent so that you didn't hang up immediately because <laughs> <laughs> that can be received that way. But no, I mean, this is uh, everything you're hearing about today is really Cole's baby, Cole's vision, everything that we're doing in coffee, as Cole mentioned, you know, we've brought about $20 million down to Columbia to do something really different and entered into an industry, particularly in coffee that was ripe for disruption. And, and Cole saw that before anybody else. And, and because of that vision, We've gone from basically an idea back in 2017 to being on the precipice of becoming the number one coffee company in the entire country, in a country very well known for coffee. So credit to him, credit to him, what, what we're doing with respect to the legacy group and, and finding other investment ideas that we can continue to grow our business through exciting times for, for what we're doing. And we're trying to bring as many people on board as possible, as, as Cole alluded to with our, our capital raise activities. 
the difficulty of being in a foreign country? What are some of, some of the difficulties? You know, you guys are both from the U.S. I, you know, obviously, Cole, you, you traveled quite a bit, and it sounds like, Adam, you, you did a little, little bit too. But um, there's got to be difficulties, challenges. Uh, maybe you're perceived as something you know, something different. I, I don't know, but what, what are some of those difficulties of being in a foreign country and running a company? Sure. I'll, I'll start. I, I love sure. this question. So, you know, one will be language. Uh, now I will say that Latin America is way easier than being in Beijing, right? I, I was trying to learn, you know, or Mandarin Chinese before I came to Colombia. So one of the things about Colombia that's different is, you know, the level of English really outside of the large cities, it's, it's basically zero. So you need to be doing business in Spanish. You know, when I first got down to Colombia, I spent a significant amount of time going to basically a university and toning up my Spanish. But, you know, I'm coming from North Carolina, public school, Spanish grade two, you know, so that's like you learn that in two weeks, you know, being immersed in Colombia. Uh, language is different. I, I would say, you know, I've, I've traveled a lot and done business in a lot of countries. Culture is always different. Um, the manana philosophy in, in Colombia, uh, it does exist. I wouldn't say it's as, as much as, let's say, the Caribbean islands or whatnot. But, you know, things do go a little bit slower. You can't, you can't do deals uh, in a weekend. So if, if we all came to an agreement on buying, you know, a multifamily property in New York, we might be able to close in three days. If we got the capital and everything ready, you just sign over agreements. Here, you know, everything takes time. Things are much more personal. Things are much more in-person. So when you go to business meetings, you know, you might need to have three business meetings just to knock out to getting to the next stage of saying, okay, these guys are ready for business. Whereas in the US, you know, we want to like, you know, the foreplay is two minutes and then you're saying, okay, serve the coffee and let's get to the deal points. Um, so I'd say, I'd say those two are the biggest ones for South America that do take some patience and some time to get used to. Yeah, I would say, you know, Todd, your previous question of why don't you guys just do this from the U.S. instead of being down in Colombia, the cultural aspects, understanding the legal system, market dynamics, in-person negotiations, conversation, all those really demand a presence in the country to be able to do effectively and actually be a value add for our investors and see projects through to fruition. We also, it's, it's a contact based economy in many ways where relationships really matter and, and, and having those conversations over, over time. At the same time that the challenges that Cole mentioned, I think really create opportunities for, for finding businesses that are appealing to people, looking at old industries and finding avenues of disruption. The hypothetical that Cole gave of, of negotiating commercial real estate building in New York, pretty inflexible when it comes to, okay, we're gonna negotiate within this cap rate and, and be in this, in this kind of range of, of possibilities. Here in Colombia, where you don't have, for example, call it the efficiency of, of markets and deal comps and those kind of things. A lot of opportunity to find opportunities, put those together and, and really have the potential for outsized financial returns and do something different for our investors. So with all challenge comes opportunity, I would say. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And, and really, I can see that 
the language and the culture being a big barrier. Um, I grew up, my, my neighbors were from Peru and Cuba and there was, I mean, it was, it was a lot of fun going over there because of the <laughs> cultural differences, but there's certainly a lot of cultural differences that, that you just, I mean, you're immersed in right away. Yeah. You know, just even just being at their house, you know? And, and so if you're in their country, obviously it's even more. <laughs> so I could, I could certainly right. appreciate that. Um, and yes, the, the, language courses in high school <laughs> which was definitely a nice thing about having really close friends that were from cuba and peru and, and they had a son my age so they spoke to me a lot in spanish so I was even, although it does I studied get, french so that yeah. was useful <laughs> didn't, help, didn't help a lot not too uh, much let's dig into the green coffee company then uh so so there was you saw opportunity in the market. You saw that there was ability to cause some disruption. Take me through that. What makes green coffee special? Why, why are you able to be, uh, potentially it sounds like soon, uh, the number one coffee company in Colombia. you know, what, what, what did you guys do? What was special? Sure. So from a, first, let's start with macro. So from a, from a macro perspective, it's a deconsolidated market. You know, most of the major players are, are kind of all over the place. It's fragmented. So there's no big controlling players right now in, in coffee production. So we saw, that, we saw that as being a big theme immediately, is the deconsolidation of the market. And, there's, and really, it's just run by a bunch of family enterprises. And just like anywhere in the world, Colombia is not special in this regard, and it's not an arbitrage. It's just family businesses typically don't run as efficiently or as efficiently as a, a multinational corporate coming out of the U.S., for instance. It won't have the controls in place. It won't have the capital in place. Um, and the second big one that we well, we kind of experienced macroeconomically that was a benefit is the, the giant foreign currency translation benefit for the Colombian peso versus U.S. dollar. You know, the the dollar has just destroyed versus the peso in the last four or five years. So if you look at when we started in 2015, you know, it was about a 50% discount versus what it was, you know, a year or two before. And, and that FX rate has continued. So it's made acquisitions, especially in something like coffee that can be denominated readily in, in USD or Euro, very attractive for major currency, you know, influxes of capital. Um, you know, when we started the company, we really started it with as almost like a syndicated real estate deal. The play was we had real estate investors who were looking for collateralized assets here in Colombia. They were already comfortable with large scale multifamily or commercial development, uh, but they wanted something in agriculture. So we created that project for them. And really, it was started as a yield-based play. We saw those macroeconomic circumstances that we thought we could obviously take advantage of and, and participate in the market. Uh, but as we began to develop, we saw more areas that we thought we could do better. And, there, and then there was, it was really more of a micro play. As we built the management team up to be more international, you know, we can trade coffee further down the value chain. So it's obviously going at a higher price we found that you know, there was hardly any co big coffee players that are operating in what I would 
say is, you know, a sustainable or impact focused manner, you know, most coffee that say barons or, or coffee land owners, you know, they pay completely in cash. They don't pay benefits. They don't pay pensions for their workers. And we do that, right? We have an impact focused and sustainability focused business model. We spend the time and energy to give, you know, certifications for our coffee, whether that's Rainforest Alliance or Starbucks certifications. And so as we began to build out the model more, we said, hey, this isn't, this isn't a syndicated real estate deal, like a one and a done. You can keep going, build an ecosystem around you, get the smartest people that we can get both internationally and within Colombia around us. And we can make this thing, we can make this thing a monster. And, and that's where we're at right now. I mean, that's what we're growing this into. I mean, next year, I would say, you know, it sounds aggressive, but it'll be a monster. It'll be the largest coffee producer, consolidated coffee producer in Colombia. Um, so that's a little bit about what we do and how we got to where we are, but I'm sure Adam has some comments. Yeah, I mean, like all businesses, we've seen things, an original idea, I guess, evolve over time. As Cole mentioned, set it up to cash flow, give investors a return that's collateralized. But what we've seen over time is for a relatively small amount of capital, you know, $20 million invested so far, we could really take a market leading position and build essentially a proverbial moat around the business in terms of the ability for competitors to come in, consolidate land, do exactly what we're doing, where we said, you know what, this is not really simply a cash flow play. This is this business has no real roof on it. We can enter, enter the public markets. We can sell this business to private equity. You know, our return profile and what we're looking at for investors is, I would say, a minimum 7x going into 2025 is what we've told investors. So when you're talking about a strong balance sheet business, collateralized, but also in an industry that's not going anywhere in a market leader in, in that industry, I think it's an exciting opportunity for, for what we're trying to do. How do you have the confidence? What, what gives you the confidence to be able to say, we're expecting 7x uh, by 2025? Is it blue sky or is it based on kind of, what, what's it based on? All of our Previous experience, you know, almost a collective 20 years doing M&A and, and public market work together, comps in the market. When you look at farm to cup beverage companies that have gone public recently and that are trading at multiples wave and beyond our own projections. Just last week, we were discussing internally a company called Nusi out of Austin. They're they're simply a coffee roaster. We'll have coffee roasting built in as just one component of our business. They had a million and a half of revenue in 2020, and they're at 100 million in terms of market cap on the, on the NASDAQ right now. You know, we'll do, we expect close to 6 million in revenue this year and be profitable. Those guys had a nine and a half million dollar loss. So when you kind of combine our experience, what we see is an incredible story match it up to comps, see what other people are doing in the space. I'd say 7X, and I, I know Cole agrees with this, is, is probably conservative, but we don't want to be over-promising, rather be over-delivering. Over and, and just to add on a little bit more, Todd, because I'm, I'm sure your, your listeners focus a lot on central bank rates, uh, inflation, 
basically just eating into everyone's returns. Mm-hmm. What you're seeing is these cap rates, especially in real estate, just go to basically nothing. I mean, you're seeing guys in developed, let's say developed New York, San Francisco, they're buying, some of these guys are buying the high twos, you know, two cap rates. So what you're seeing is the cap, cost of capital is becoming nothing. I think public markets are going so high. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. So, but I'm not going to say that we would never exit through a public market transaction in five years. So we'll dual track everything. But what, what you'll see from a macro perspective is I don't see any, any indication that central bank rates are going to jack up here anytime soon in a material way. You have inflation eating into completely into the debt market. I mean, almost all, all of our investors are high net worth U.S. individual investors. Their biggest concerns are inflation. One is the debt market is closed off to them. It's not, it's not, even, it's not even an option. There's like, if you invest here, you're going to lose money right? Real estate market are trading at such low cap rates, which means your end return is so low, but they're like, man, after I pay property managers, asset managers, pay for expenses or whatnot, maybe I'm netting like 2% or something. And I, I don't know if these markets will, your buffer for air in, let's say acquisition pricing or exit multiples, or just paying real estate commissions can eat away anything. So guys are looking at the market and say, you know, where do I place capital? You know, Adam and I continuously write about write articles about alternative asset investments, largely related to what the big players are doing. I mean, you're seeing every pension fund, every life insurance company, every large asset manager players coming in and saying, one, I want climate risk controlled, especially companies that are focused on sustainability and are profitable. Two, they're going to dump a tremendous amount of money into alternative investments, especially private market deals, because they have higher yield requirements, especially pension funds, right? They're massively underfunded. They need to make up those yields or they can't make their liability commitment, their actuarial liability commitments to all these, you know, pensioned employees. So all these guys are moving into alternative investments. What I'd say from a macro perspective, which is obviously helping us because we only participate in the private market space, is that valuations on private companies, especially ones that can reach scale, that can be acquired by large pension funds, large institutional asset managers, or large, I think insurance companies can drive a lot of this as well. And I could see them easily getting into the private space. Those valuations are going to explode. And they're going to mirror that of, of public markets here in the short term. And if there's nothing that happens with central banks and there's no, not a significant supply of IPO entrants on the public markets, those, those valuations are continued to be inflated and guys won't place capital there. They're going to want to look purely at, at private capital placements. And, you know, when Adam's talking about, you know, our, our underwriting, you know, we don't underwrite at gigantic multiples, like a hundred times revenue, like the example that Adam gave. If you looked at our deck, we, we underwrite on things that, you know, we use all comparable transactions of what is happening. And then we take a discount on what's happening in public markets or private markets. So we know we have something that is just incredible. We just have to execute over the next five years. Yep. You know, Todd, too, to add, you know, going down the funnel a little bit from from what Cole said, you know, Colombia is an interesting opportunity as a as a country as well. And I think, you know, we're not the only ones that are seeing that two weeks ago, we sat in on a conference where basically 
talking about foreign investment coming into Colombia. Interesting statistics for your audience as they look at different markets and see what's happening in China with supply chain disruptions and where production might go, what markets might be up and coming. Last 20 years, we've seen $32 billion of foreign investment come into Colombia. 47% of that has come in the last three years. It's a market that's on a lot of people's radar as a potential transition point away from, from Asian markets. It's a, it's a top ally of the U.S. in the region, a natural partner for imports and also for finding, finding and looking for, for human capital. Its proximity obviously helps with our coffee business and being in, in, in agriculture. Really an interesting time, an interesting market for people who are willing to step outside their call it proverbial comfort zone a little bit and, and look for some markets that have some big upside. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it certainly feels like a risk coming into a different country, but um, when you put it that way, it seems like a fairly calculated risk. It's just, it's like, I was, you know, for lack of better terms, it's just a, such a foreign concept to me to move to an, a foreign country to like just start your own business. Um, yeah. But I, I, I see the, the lure that you guys are, are talking about. So in Colombia, are you having the same supply chain issues, the same labor force disruptions uh, that we're seeing in the U.S. and in other places around the, the world? Sure. Oh, I'll go first. For labor disruption, no. We, we don't have any issue with human capital talent in, in Latin America or specifically in, in Colombia. We are seeing delays, for instance, in containers, in, in supply. Now, coffee in Colombia, now, if you take the national product of Colombia, it's coffee, right? So it is the most important agricultural crop. And I would say it's the second most sophisticated agricultural industry behind fresh cut flowers. Colombia's number two in fresh cut flowers. Some of the best technology that we've actually used and migrated over to coffee is coming from the fresh cut flower business. Hmm. But coffee itself uh, has access to some of the best human capital talent, has a lot of history behind it. Um, but the supply chain issues have become an issue for a lot of the exporters. Now, the reason why I say it's so efficient is because a bag of coffee is like an ATM card, basically. I can sell, you know, whether it's one bag, 75 kilos, or you give me 7.5 million kilos, I can offload it in a day, right? That's how liquid it is. And we can offload our coffee. At right now, if you were to look at sea market pricing, it's the highest it's been in like a decade. Um, and we can sell it without having to export right now at very, very, very attractive rates. But a lot of the exporters right now are getting squeezed because of having capacity on um, shipping containers. Uh, and right now, you know, that doesn't look like it's going to get resolved for it could be a year or two, you know, before it, before it gets resolved. So I would say that is that is an impacting factor for the coffee industry as a whole. We're we're largely buffered right now from that. But as we expand more internationally, it'll be something that we have to obviously mitigate, mitigate that risk. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. And we're buffered in a lot of ways too by controlling our own production as well. We've seen some, some basically coffee scarcities coming out of Brazil, which is the largest coffee producer 
globally by, by being able to basically control our supply chain. You know, six months ago, when we started talking to investors about this capital raise, we were telling them we thought we'd be selling coffee at about $1.90 a pound. We're talking now with, with uh, buyers for $2.60 a pound and up. So it's been some interesting market forces that, despite what's going on globally, have, have been beneficial to us here in Colombia and in the coffee business. That's inflation. <laughs> it's, it's uh, you know, we did a nice piece a couple of weeks ago, Cole did, about uh, inflation here um, and, and how, you know, coffee and agriculture is really a great buffer for that. So something that might be interesting to your, to your listener base. Yeah, I think everybody's looking for, well, I think you guys hit it right on. Everybody's looking for yield right now, looking for mm-hmm. where can they place their money. They're looking for what is going to be insulated from inflation. Um, and it's challenging. There's all your assets, traditional asset classes. It's just, there's there's more risk than I would say what a lot of people are comfortable with. And there's, there's these returns are getting eaten up by inflation. Um, probably the only thing that's really saving a lot of this is, is the low interest rates that are coming along with it. So money is practically free. Uh, money is free right now because inflation is far exceeding the interest rates, which is just a whole nother topic. Uh, yes. Absolutely crazy. But um, all right. Well, good stuff so far. So I want to, I want to just dive into a couple last questions because we do need to wrap up, but um, we'll get everybody your contact information so they can learn more about what you guys are doing, but um, you guys talked about impact and it uh, sounds like that's a critical component of your company. How do you guys like to give back either through the company personally on your own? How do you like to give back? What do you do? Sure. I think it's important to do it first at the corporate level. You, you have to, but I think it needs to be built into the business ecosystem itself. So it's not about what I, I've written a bunch of pieces about this on my criticisms of impact investing and how a lot of companies think that, you know, I, I'll continue business as usual, make a bunch of profit, and then I'll give a, a certain small amount, some pittance away to charity. And suddenly I'm, I'm an ethical business. I'm an impact focused business. I think that's completely the wrong way to structure sustainability impact going forward. You know, I think it's about being a part of the ecosystem around you. And that can be from a social aspect, like what I referenced earlier with paying real wages, paying pensions, training people. I mean, a big focus for us is obviously financial inclusion, which is paying people real money, make sure they have health and and labor benefits, but also education, right? We don't, we don't want to make people feel like you're stuck in a job forever. A lot of life is, is about growth. Right. But, you know, that's that's one area within your employee pool that we think is really important. Another thing within something in like agriculture, um, you know, you need to be a sustainable business. You need to run ethically. So things like the infrastructure build outs that we do for processing facilities, you know, we go to great lengths to make sure that, for instance, water usage is is minimized drastically because there's massive problems in agriculture in Colombia with with runoff with pollution right so i think 
a lot of it isn't about, okay, we do this and we're done. And then we forecast it or portray it to the world like we're great people. It's about continuously improving the ecosystem around you. And those are only a few of the examples of what we do. But the goal is that you're basically never done, that every day you're looking to make the business better, you're looking to make society better around you. And I think, you know, we're lucky enough to be in an industry like coffee, where the end buyer, your buyer at Starbucks, your buyer at your local cafe that's buying premium coffees, they, they want to see you doing these things. And I think in, in, well, in things like coffee, for sure, in 10 years, if you're not doing these things, you're not going to be in business. There's no way. You know, the world is becoming so transparent. You know, you don't need to spend $5 million like Starbucks is on a marketing campaign for something you spent 50,000 bucks doing. You know, we can do things the right way and it'll get out and people can see it, whether it's on LinkedIn or YouTube, it costs us virtually nothing to show, or people can just come see what we do and, and test us in real time to make sure we're telling the truth, you know, and I think that'll be a part of basically how we run businesses forever in the future. I think that's, that's really cool. One thing I, I took, and maybe you didn't exactly say this, but this is at least what I took from it is, um, you look at some of the marketing dollars that some of these companies put in. And if you spend a little bit of time on making sure your company is set up for impact, spend some of those marketing dollars on impact, uh, you're probably going to get that back tenfold in the marketing just, just because you spent that on impact Absolutely. and on sustainability and paying and benefits and, and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. And like, Frankly, it's not, it's not fun to run businesses that can't do that. Now, we're lucky enough to run businesses with high margins and we have a unique idea. And really, I mean, to be honest, we don't have any. No one can compete with us. We're so far ahead of everybody else. By far, we're the most innovative coffee company in Colombia today. Next year, we'll be, we'll be the largest, but we'll continue to expand and enhance. You know, when I see companies, you know, spend 100000 bucks on some marketing program, and then they spend five million bucks on show, showcasing the impact. It drives me crazy because you can spend it a lot more wisely. It doesn't have to be that traditional corporate campaign, and it can be actually more impactful, especially to your to your clients and to your employees who make who make the business what it is. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a turnoff too when you're seeing these companies that so what they're advertising all over the place, but they're not doing anything to, to change anything. They're not doing anything to make a positive impact versus when you see a company that's actually making a positive impact, that's a part of something you're like, yeah, I want to be part of that. I want to, I'm going to spend my dollar on that versus, versus this other thing. And, and, and I think the younger generation, especially, but I, I think it's, it's all generations are starting to see these companies that have real impact. They're doing real good things. They, they, they want to support them. They don't want to support the other the big companies that just throw a bunch of money into advertising. That's right. So cool. Um, all right. So last question before we wrap up, what are your three pillars of wealth creation? I'll let you guys uh, both take that one. I'll go first. Right, um, cool. For wealth creation, I'll allude back to the macro situation that we addressed earlier, Todd. You know, if I was coming in and I'm creating wealth, I'm not maintaining it. So I'm assuming you're going up in that asset value, not just trying to, you know, distribute and make sure everything stays rosy and hunky dory. I would say alternative assets, 
are most important. You're going to want to play in the private asset space for sure. Whether that's private debt, private equity, you got to play in that space. Second, early stage company investment, something where the institutional players cannot come in. So we've, Adam and I have written a lot about this. You know, once you start seeing round C, round D, round E rounds of companies that are super successful in fundraising, as an individual investor, as accredited US investor, unless you've got, you know, 10 million bucks and up to burn on one investment, you're not going to be able to get in anymore. So I would say start looking at things. You don't have to be a seed round angel investor, but start looking at things in series A, series B rounds of really new upcoming businesses. And three, my, my focus for you know, investor, any investor is look at sustainability, specific, specifically around companies that are doing something about climate change risk or adapting to climate change risk as a result of their business model. They're going to receive a tremendous amount of funding and they have the potential to earn tremendous returns, especially in private markets for investors. So those would be my three. Yeah, I think similarly, you know, willing to be somewhat contradictory in, in or, or go against the, the norms in terms of investing, I think is important. Looking at things like alternative investments, looking overseas, expanding your horizons a little bit. I think there's going to be in the, well, call it the near term, but I think there's going to be a lot of people who have some, some pain coming for following trends in crypto markets, tacking on to the last little bit of what might be left in on a public equity security before there's a dip. I think, you know, the best way, obviously, whether you're talking about real estate or equities, always obviously to buy at a good price where there's a lot more value to be created. I think people are going to be punished if they're not doing that, especially in the near term where we're seeing prices now. I think it's very easy to follow trends and not do your own homework. I think people should really be taking the time to educate themselves and viewing their investments as, as really a uh, responsibility that they have to take upon themselves. And, you know, I, I think those, you know, kind of with what Cole said, branch out a little bit, look at some opportunities, keep your eyes open, know what you're looking for so that when you, when you see it, it's, it's there for you. Awesome. Awesome. Well, gentlemen, um, look, I really appreciate you guys spending some time with us talking about Legacy Group and, and Green Coffee and, and what you guys are doing. And, um, you know, the tips and advice you gave to our listeners, de definitely uh, very beneficial. How can our listeners get in touch with you, learn more about what you got going on? Um, just connect. Yeah, you guys can find us at, at our website, legacy-group.co. And then feel free to email us directly. Find us on uh, social media. We're on, we're on LinkedIn. My email is adam.j at legacy-group.co and then cole.shepherd at legacy-group.co. So find us, talk about investments, hear what we're doing about in Columbia. We're always trying to grow our, our network and, and, and meet and connect with more interested folks. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Adam, Cole. Appreciate it. Um, you guys have a fantastic rest of the day. Thanks, Todd. Thank you, Todd. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you being a loyal listener. Say, I would love to have you go on to our Facebook page and subscribe. Uh, give us a thumbs up. Go on to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. But your rating and review just helps us push this out to 
more and more people and continue to grow our audience and hopefully positively affect a ton of people out there that really need this and, and want this. So uh, the other thing I've got for you is a free ebook on my website. So go on to VentureDProperties.com, VentureDProperties.com and download our free ebook on real estate and on syndication. And I've got some data points in there, some really good stuff for you. So I'd love to have you take a look at that. It's free. I'm not expecting anything from it. Uh, and also look, if you want some help in multifamily, want some help learning, growing, getting your business off the ground, I would love to talk to you about what it would look like uh, to work with me potentially and see if that's a good fit. So you can go to coachwithdex.com and check that out and uh, we can definitely have a, uh, a call. Thanks a lot for listening. You make it a fantastic rest of the day. I'll catch you on the next episode.